Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and usually I'm here with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, but he is enjoying some sabbatical time. So I've invited my friend and fellow spiritual director, Reverend Adele Calhoun, to discuss her book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Each week, we will be discussing a chapter from this transforming resource and looking at it through the lens of the invitations God might have for us, individually and in community, as we emerge from this life-shifting season of the past year and a half. Here is this week's conversation with Adele Calhoun on her book, Invitations from God. Welcome back to all of our listeners and welcome to you, Adele, as we continue in this season on Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, to Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. And today we are walking into a particularly challenging, maybe even one of the most challenging invitations in the book. And I think it follows on really well after the, you know, invitation (laughs) to admit that I might be wrong. In this chapter, we are being invited to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) And um, to work on this practice of forgiveness between us as human beings here in the body of Christ and in the world. So let's start by talking about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. I just Mm -hmm. think the term itself needs to be identified because there are some very fine lines to find Mm -hmm. in the subject of forgiveness. And um, one of our teachers, Dr. Bob Mulholland, teaches about forgiveness in our eighth retreat on um, our spiritual formation for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he says right off the bat, and it's very, very helpful, is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That forgiveness sets us up for reconciliation if God opens up that opportunity and if the other person's willing and all of that. But that forgiveness doesn't require anybody else. It, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's something that we do we as do. a spiritual practice we do. within our own relationship mm-hmm. with God that can open us to other things. But it sets a realistic expectation for what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So, Adele, let's just talk about what what it really is for a while and set the expectation right before we go on and talk about some of the naughtier issues that are raised when we talk about forgiveness. Well, in, for me, I think one of the things that I know in my bones about forgiveness is it costs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It cost me, yeah. and there, there was a time when when forgiveness felt easy, you know. And when I was younger, and I really didn't have any big things to forgive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were things that I could I could forgive. And then I hit a point in my life where there were things that were too big. Mm-hmm. And then I that that's when I recognized, oh, it's not just saying. I forgive you. There is work that I have to do that is really painful, costly mm-hmm. work. And I, I, at times, I just wasn't ready to do that yeah. work. And so part of forgiveness, you know, I'd be interested in, in how, you, how do you get ready to do the work? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's, that, you know, we just and we just completed our eighth retreat with Bob's videos um, just last week, so it's really, really fresh on my mind. And 
one of the things he does talk about is how we do forgiveness actually for ourselves. And I think that that is one of the, the things that prepares me mm. is because he talks about the destructive nature of bitterness and lack of forgiveness and that we are bound, we are in bondage, actually energetically tied to that other person that we haven't mm -hmm. forgiven until we are able to do the work of forgiveness. So even if we don't want to do it for them, even if we want to keep <laughs> them on the hook forever, I think honestly the real motivation yeah. is if I don't do this work, I'm going to stay in bondage and mm -hmm. I'm going to be hardened and bitter and maybe even paranoid and self-protective and, you know, have a fighting spirit and closed in my heart. Mm. And is that the way I want to live on this earth? And of course, you can't live that way and be open to God. No. The scriptures are so clear about the fact that when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, there is a blockage between us and God. God's always very, very open, but we have an mm -hmm. obstacle in our hearts to, to being open to the transforming love and the transforming work of God. And so it may be very self-centered <laughs> to say, but one of the primary motivations, I think, to get on with this work is to understand how enslaved we are how stuck we are, even in our relationship with God, until we're willing to do this work. In fact, Bob calls it, calls forgiveness a frontal assault on the false self. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> it's, it's the dismantling of the image really that we is. are better than the other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even making the, that pain and that hurt the central point of point. our life mm -hmm. and our spirituality. So I... I think we need to settle pretty deeply and, and actually understand the destructive nature of a lack of forgiveness. Now, at the same time, of course, we know that doesn't mean we can do it by ourselves, like you just said, <laughs> that it is a work of Jesus. Forgive, we, can, we are not able to accomplish forgiveness ourselves, but it does make us want to get on the journey if we can realize that this is hurting me more than it's hurting the other person if I don't do the forgiveness work. Isn't that just so real <laughs> it's just so and, real. and it ties in we've talked about yes uh, just in our other conversations mm -hmm. that that that's undoing a narrative mm -hmm. and that the narratives we hold can be super destructive you know if you think about a hard heart a bitter heart cold heart that's all about a narrative about who i am and who others are and so the, the forgiveness, like you said, dismantles something in me that um, frees me mm -hmm. to receive, I think, a, a truer picture of myself as well as maybe even be able to see the image of God in other people where mm -hmm. I feel like I can't. Because we're using the word narrative so much, I think we should talk about that for a minute. Because okay. when you say narrative... I think immediately, well, that's the story that we create around something, and it's really not true on some level. It's objectively not true. So, yes, it is about a narrative, but I think I also want to be clear about the fact that there are facts in situations, too. Yes. That, that must be acknowledged in any sort of forgiveness process. There's the facts, and then there is the narrative that I develop around the facts, but the facts are still the facts. So bad things happen. People that's do right. bad things to each other. We've seen some very, very bad things in the church recently and in our country recently. So we have to be able to distinguish between the facts and the narrative. And, you know, one author that, that writes beautifully about forgiveness, William Menninger, says that the first step in the forgiveness process is claiming the hurt 
and actually naming, naming the wrong. It. Yeah, naming it the wrong. And that's not the narrative right, right there. That is the that's thing right. that happened. That's the thing that happened. That's the thing that happened. And if it was bad, it was bad. And it needs to be called mm-hmm. bad. It has to be named. And, and sinful. And don't you think, Adele, that this season that we're in with the church having to do with both gender and sexuality and race, like all the stuff that's happened around those ways of abusing people and abusing power that the most disturbing thing in my mind has been when church leadership, organizational leadership, racial leadership, when we have been unwilling and unable to say that was wrong. Wrong. Yeah. And, and like, even now we sit, you know, under the clouds of scandals and moral failures where the wrong has not been acknowledged and it means there's a lack of closure for everybody involved mm-hmm. when we can't do that. And it's heartbreaking. Like, I can feel it in my stomach as I talk about it, how much that hurts, how much I wish that some things could really be named so that we could move ahead and move beyond. And move through. Move through to this to, to a real place mm-hmm. of understanding and then eventually forgiveness and then new way, you know, being led in the everlasting way, the life-giving way. None of that's possible if we don't do this. None of that's possible if we don't do this. And I think within the church, this this rushing through, you know, not even going through, just rushing yeah. to, well, you need to forgive. Right. You need you, you need to let go and forgive. This this sense of telling other people how they need to what they need to do rather mm-hmm. than saying there was wrong what do i need to do yeah what do i need to say what do we need to do to make this right make this right right so there's some really fine lines to find here aren't there there are and i think there's also just the personal lines mm-hmm. that like you said some people will find it easier just by nature Mm-hmm. And other people will find it because of past experience mm-hmm. and history and the narrative that's that right. that they've lived through. That's right. There's a lot more pain than just what you did to me. This is, I'm carrying the weight of family pains mm-hmm. and systemic pains, and yes. it's sometimes really hard to bear, you know, to to fray that out. Yes. What's what here? That's right. And also, you know, I, I, that use of the word narrative right there is is really good. This is a good example of where we could talk about the facts and the narrative, you know. So the facts might be that I lived in a family that didn't deal well with conflict, mm-hmm. where I never saw anybody make a confession or give forgiveness, where I always saw conflict as being something that caused relationships to disintegrate to and break. fall apart. That's the facts. Right. That's my past. That's what I lived in. Mm-hmm. But then, and, But then the narrative is that... Well, conflict always results in people in, falling apart. I, right. There's no way to do conflict in such a way that people can stay together. There's nothing good about staying w- with a difficult conversation. That's right. the narrative right. that is absolutely untrue. And lies. Yeah. yeah, And that and, prevents us from doing this very work that we're talking mm-hmm. about right now. And it is, it is very large and very real because mm-hmm. I saw in my family. That's right. This thing. And, and to undo that yeah. sense and risk... Yeah. That the possibility of a connection could mm-hmm. come out of this rather than a disconnection. That's right. Ah. Yeah. That's a it, huge risk. That's right. And it's walking out to the very, very edge of faith, like we talked about at the very beginning of this season, is that 
God's invitations, one of the ways you recognize them is that they take you out to the edge of your faith. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they take you out to the edge of sea. That's right. Yes. The edge of faith and the edge of safe. That's right. (laughs) And they take you out to the edge of your own transformation where Mm -hmm. God is calling you to a growth edge, you know, (laughs) that's probably going to challenge you at the false self level in some way. So even though it's just so funny to me that I think the language of invitation can feel rather soft, in the end, it's just not. Mm -mm. In the end, God's invitations (laughs) take us out to the most challenging places of all. And this is, this is it. I mean, this is unbelievably challenging stuff that we're talking about right here. So one of the, one of the things that maybe would be helpful for us to say about forgiveness is, as far as definition is concerned is that it is a process, not, not a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And that helps me as I think about, you know, even the, the examples that I brought up. If we understand it as a process and that we understand that claiming the hurt, working through the grief, experiencing the fact that something happened to us that we couldn't control, you know, and it happened to us. It wasn't our fault. You know, these, these aspects of a process of forgiveness, then we can talk about it as an invitation to anyone at any point mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. their process. Even before they feel they can do anything, there can be mm-hmm. a willingness of saying to Jesus or to God, I'm willing to be made willing to right. begin the process of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that's all we can do. That's and right. we and we do it not even for the other person at this point. We do it for ourselves so that we can be free mm-hmm. and so that that person no longer has any energetic claim right. on us or power over us. And for me, that process, there are just times when I, I'm at that place where I say, I, I want to forgive mm-hmm. this person. I don't have any feelings yeah. that make me want to forgive this person. I don't have any really desire. I mean, I want to, but it's just so hard. And it's like there's this huge mountain I have to climb to get there. And that, for for me, one of the things I say is, I know that the Jesus in me has forgiven this Mm -hmm. person. And that in Christ, all things have already been reconciled at a cosmic level. Reconciled. That's right. On a Mm -hmm. cosmic level. That that way, way beyond me, that Mm -hmm. Christ sees this person in a way I can't loves them in a way I don't Mm -hmm. and is taking care of all of the justice and everything that's involved in, in what they did. And so there are times I just say, Jesus in me, I want to, to stand in solidarity with your forgiveness Mm -hmm. of them, but you know, I'm not That's there yet. Exactly right. I'll catch That's up. That's right. (laughs) I'll catch up, but I know you've done the work. Right, right. And it's just been helpful yeah. to me to give myself that that sort of, you know, mm-hmm. you'll catch up. It'll it it'll happen as the That's spirit right. works in you. I I don't have to, oh help me help me forgive. Yeah. You know, no, it'll yeah. come. And that to, to me that takes us back to the language of invitation. And the language of invitation I think is particularly helpful for this one because mm-hmm. we are invited, but we are not forced. We are not pushed, forced, manipulated to go beyond what we can do right now. But there is a real invitation here. But God will never force us to go beyond what we can do in a given moment. No. And so I, I think no. to even hang on tight to the language of invitation relative right. to this one is, is really mm-hmm. important. And, you know, Adele, you and I both know that in the 
the, the deeper spiritual journey that the most important stuff that's happening is happening under the surface of our lives anyway. Under the surface. And maybe this is one of those places where we just simply must trust that as we just find a way to pray, if all we can do is just cry out to God and say, God, help me. Cannot do this on my mm -hmm. own. God, help me. You're in the process then. You are you in are. the process. And then, as you said, you trust that God is doing the work underneath the surface, even though you can't mm -hmm. see it or feel it or perceive it. Mm -hmm. I hope that's freeing. It feels freeing to me, even as I say it's it. It's freeing. You know, you know it's life not all up true. to me to accomplish this really hard me. thing in my life. Mm -hmm. So I want to go into some other specific things, but let's talk for a minute about the difference between forgiveness or, and reconciliation, just so that we're clear on that. Um, I mentioned that Bob really distinguishes and says that forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness does not require the other person at all. It's something that happens within us. We release that person and what they've done to us and you know we are no longer holding them to account for that we've released it that is not reconciliation though reconciliation nope. does require two people and a willingness on both persons parts so forgiveness sets us up for reconciliation but so that if that opportunity were to come we could enter into it so what is reconciliation then so to me, reconciliation is when both parties share the same facts, mm -hmm. can say, this is what mm -hmm. happened. From my perspective, this is what happened. From my perspective, this is what happened. This is what's there. And I wronged you or you wronged mm -hmm. me. And what is needed for us to go forward? So what would make our relationship right mm -hmm. on both sides, that feeling mm -hmm. of we're right with each other and right with God. So that something can, I'm going to say, begin again. It may not, the trust may have to be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. Things may need to happen for there ever to be. And there may never be the same sort of relationship we once had. But there is a sense of, what is in the past now is in the past. That's my start. Where would you go? <laughs> I Yeah, I agree that with the, the, the general, the broad strokes of it. But I think that conversation and what's actually in that conversation could be even more than one conversation. You know, real work oh, of truly. reconciliation. Like if, even if you think of, you know, the genocide and the Rwandans and, you know, things like that, the Desmond Tutu that his work in the truth and reconciliation. What I love about that commission is that it assumes that truth has to be told. Right? It yeah. does. And it does. sometimes, like in the process that had to go on around the genocides, it was many conversations of victims coming and talking about what happened and the impact of that on their lives and being heard and seen by the, the, the wrongdoers. Mm -hmm. I'm always just really nervous about making this less of a deal than it really is because yeah. there are real components to a conversation that writes wrongs and moves us to the place where we can do exactly what you just said. It's, it's a significant mm -hmm. process that has to be set up in some cases really well. And like you mentioned earlier before we were on together, even having mediation and help to hold a conversation like mm -hmm. that. Hold yeah. the conversation. And sometimes in that's a safe the biggest way. work is even finding the right person space. to hold mm -hmm. and to be with mm -hmm. you in that. And I and 
as I think about my own experience in, I'm, I'm thinking of one relationship in particular where I feel like both mm-hmm. sides did the forgiving and for all practical purposes, any relationship does not exist. You know, that the recon, there uh-huh. was a reconciling, but yeah. the pain was so deep. And I feel like that is still bearing a pain, the pain of how sin can actually maim right. something yes. that was in a way that's irreparable yeah. in this life. That is such an important point because now we're also actually saying that forgiveness is not reconciliation and reconciliation is not necessarily returning to a relationship. It might be broken in some way that's beyond that kind of repair. But forgiveness mm-hmm. and a coming together, you know, to share truth and to extend forgiveness back and forth doesn't even necessarily assume that there will be an ongoing relationship after that. That is so helpful, Adele, because I think maybe one of the reasons why people don't want to reconcile is because they don't want to be back in that relationship and they they misunderstand and think that reconciliation is going to mean they have to be back in a relationship that's toxic or not trustworthy or mm-hmm. can't be repaired at that level. So I really appreciate that that clarification too. And I'm sure there'll be some of our listeners that really appreciate knowing that we can do the work of reconciliation, but it doesn't mean we have to be back in an ongoing relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And it's not in a withholding and an avoiding sort of way. No. It's just not no. wise sometimes. And I think spiritual direction and therapy can be really helpful in this place too to get some real guidance over what would be a healthy way forward. And and even timing. Timing is everything, right? Some things mm-hmm. take a long, long time to be able and ready to talk about. Sometimes there's a lot of inner repair that has to be done before a person can actually go back and talk about that with that person. And I think often, let's just put it, that the offending party, mm-hmm. you know, there's been the reconciliation. There can be a lot of expectations that they carry about what this mm-hmm. person should do yeah. once there's a reconciliation. And forgiveness is letting that go. It's not, oh, now we've done this mm-hmm. and you need to do that. This yeah. is what comes next. Oh, life is painful, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to even talk about this because the more experience we've had with these sorts of things. And, you know, you and I, like like we've said, we've been friends for a long, long time and we haven't had the opportunity to have some of the deeper conversations lately that we used to have so regularly and so routinely. But -hmm. one of the things that's happened for me is I've had to let go of some of my idealism. And you know from being with me that my idealism is something that doesn't die easily. And my idealism can just ruin me because my expectations are so high. So part of the work of God in my life lately Mm -hmm. and recently in in a more mature place has been to do the work of acceptance accepting some things Mm -hmm. that are as they are and that probably will not be fixed on this side of eternity. But it has made me, that's been painful and hard. I mean, any journey that takes you to that kind of acceptance is going to involve, you know, pain and tears and all that. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping. I mean, you know, not to put too fine a point (laughs) on it. I was thinking the same thing. Yes, exactly. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I have found myself more uh, full of faith about heaven 
and the fact that mm-hmm. those of us who are Christians and journeying towards God, or journeying deeper and deeper into the presence of God, let's put it that way, um, in terms of our awareness, that there will be a day when we are all together again in our transformed selves, and we will live in the reconciliation mm-hmm. that has already been accomplished in Christ. And for those things that can't, that don't look like they're going to be able to be fixed on this side of heaven, I've I've experienced greater hope about heaven and what it will be like to live as transformed beings on this side of heaven we call ourselves transforming (laughs) nobody is fully transformed but on the other side we will be relating to one another as transformed beings Mm -hmm. and things that are not possible here will be possible there and that hope for me has become more and more real as i do this work of forgiveness and acceptance and Mm -hmm. not expecting (laughs) letting some of my idealism fall away and being willing to live in reality a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's, I will admit Adele, it's a more peaceful place than always yes. being so caught up in idealism where the world is always disappointing me because yes. it's not reaching my ideal. It's not reaching the ideal. <laughs> yes. So there <laughs> we are true. with that. That's right. Ooh. Well, I feel like that's excellent foundation then to ask another, you know, challenging question for the two of us. And that is, what do we do in those situations where forgiveness is needed, but it's not offered? It's not, you know, no one can seem to get to that kind of a situation. What do we do when we know that forgiveness is going to be part of what's needed, but that call is is not appropriate yet? I mean, have you ever experienced situations where someone has said, oh, you need to, you just need to forgive. And it's so premature that it just makes you want to whack him upside the head you know like you clearly do not understand what this is if you're telling me that right now and I and I feel that in some of the hard hard things that we're experiencing in the hashtag me Too church Too movement and in the process of racial reconciliation pains that have been so deep and long-standing and nuanced and layered and all that and historical historical and where we don't even fully understand it all yet Mm -mm. but we're calling for forgiveness Mm -hmm. and people do the big group hug and think they've done (laughs) you know all that's needed so i I took a a course called justified anger Mm -hmm. on racial issues and i think jesus got angry for justified reasons and when there is a justified anger Mm -hmm. how do how do we move through the anger, express the anger, you know, so that we actually can even land in a place where we can begin a discussion. But until I've been able to sit with somebody and not go away, sit in the discomfort of their mm-hmm. anger, sit in the place where I'm I'm listening and not teaching back or you know, I, I think there's something about people like you and me that want to tell. Mm-hmm. We want to tell what we know. And to just say, I don't know. Let me hear the pain that I've caused you or that you're in. Yeah. And to sit with the discomfort of that. Right. We've got to, if we can't do that, we have no business saying, mm-hmm. uh, forgive me. That's right. Well, and... You know, in the in the area of race, there's a there's a bit of terminology that's come into our vocabulary, and that is white fragility. Mm-hmm. 
which addresses this very thing, white people's inability to sit and In hear the, here. the anger, the pain, the loss, the ramifications. Oh, that is a very penetrating phrase, white fragility, but it could white be fragility. applied to many things. Mm -hmm. That are we so fragile that we cannot sit in the face of someone else's anger and pain about things that we ourselves may have caused. And that that's again part of that narrative of I've never seen anger turn out good. Mm -hmm. I've, if, yes. if that's my history, it's very, I mean, so many internal things come up and work we haven't done. There's work we have to do to be able to sit. Yes. And to hear. And to me, this speaks to the need for transformation. Like one of the things that I think is really unwise and maybe even borders on magical thinking is if we think we can take people who are not on a transformational journey and are not growing in their own capacities, um, if we think that, or who are not emotionally healthy or haven't done some of this spiritual work and we require them, we expect them to be able to be in these kinds of conversations, but there's no preparation for it mm -mm. no so you, you you know there's even some preparation that needs to take place in the lives of both individuals or in the groups that are meeting to actually totally. do the things we're talking about here totally and we need to be told sometimes this is what you need to do because we can't even assume that we know what it is to be a good listener and what it yeah. is to to hear what the pain of what somebody else has and we can be very quick to say oh i understand or i have this experience that's like that and try to make a connection when really they don't that's not what's useful mm -hmm. what's useful is to say that is so hard i that is so just to empathize and listen yeah or even the tell me more tell me more tell me more about how that's affected your life i'm really sorry tell me more about how that's affected your life because I, I I really want I really want to be there with you in this. This is very demanding stuff spiritually. And I think when you're in the context of a really challenging conversation that's challenging different aspects of yourself, to even have worked with spiritual practices that increase your capacity to sit with hard things mm -hmm. and to know what your identity is, to not get swept away by strong emotions, to not take it into a shame place. You know, I think shame is another reason why we can't totally. sit with, with this, with things. Totally. So we have to do our work around shame in order to mm -hmm. be able to sit with people as they tell us ways in which perhaps we've hurt them. And shame, you know, shame is so automatic and autotomical that it just downloads all these mm -hmm. chemicals into your body yeah. and I think to to be able to dismantle some of the shame narratives that we carry is what can open us to listen yes and admitting we could be wrong you know if we can't do that first that other invitation we just mm -hmm. talked about then yes. we won't get we won't get yeah. to forgiveness yeah so if the narrative is if if I did something wrong, I must be a terrible, flawed person. person. Okay. And it, rather than... And you'll go away and you won't love me. That's right. That's, and yes, yeah, so the fear of abandonment and all that. If if that is the narrative that we place around these places where we are none of us are perfect and we all make mistakes and all that, then we really can't sit in these conversations. No, because the narrative is so strong, it's going to cause us to run right out the room. 
Whew. <laughs> so I maybe, can feel it in my body, too. I can, too. I, I can think, feel oh, yes, the oh. challenge of it all. <laughs> like, it's a wonder any of us can do this work. It's just so yeah, demanding on so our little demanding. human selves. But maybe we could offer a resource right now, and that is The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson, mm-hmm. our beloved Kurt Thompson, MD, psychiatrist, That's right. um, who's also been among us as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, th- our people just value the book The Soul of Shame mm-hmm. so much, and we assign it somewhere along the way. And for them, for many of them, that book is just a high point mm-hmm. of the whole transforming community experience because shame book. is so prevalent but but we need to bring it up out into the surface and really deal with it there so that is one that is wonderful and difficult well Adele let's uh, bring this conversation right to the moment that we're in right now where we've been through in our congregations and our families um, in our friendships we've been through a season where there's probably been offenses made and offenses taken (laughs) in every in conversation and in the decisions that we make like even the hard decisions at the beginning of the pandemic and throughout the pandemic about whether we were going to mask whether we were going to see each other whether we were going to vaccinate that's people are still dealing with that right now the differences between vaxxers and non-vaxxers and what that means i mean there's the fact and then there's also the narratives Mm -hmm. you know that's Um, right so (laughs) congregations now are more aware of the the divides among them than ever. The other thing I just know for sure is that almost every single pastor and leader that I talk to right now is wounded by the way they've been treated by their congregations as they've been trying to navigate this the best they know how. And that as they made decisions about gathering and not gathering and videoing and when to get back together and masks and, and what all they that. preached on and what, and what they, they didn't preached on. Preach on. That's exactly right. They have been hurt. They are the pastors are the walking wounded right now because there was no way to navigate this and please everyone. There just wasn't. And in most cases, even if they tried to find a center line to walk down, then people on both sides were upset with them. I think that we need to attend to pastors first and leaders first in their own need for healing and experiencing the process of forgiveness in their own lives before they can lead their congregations, which are going to, who are going to need to be led in these ways. Let's talk about the process of forgiveness for the sake of our dear pastors and leaders who are listening today and know they need healing themselves at this level and also know they're going to be required to lead their congregations as well. And uh, before we go into any process, I think both of us would want to say, you know, we you you have been doing God's work. That's right. You have been being faithful. You yeah. have been loving your flock. That's right. And you have been laying yourself on the line. Right. And the evil one will come along and say you're not enough and whatever lie yeah. narrative captures you. And we just, we want to say we know. That's right. What you have done. That's right. And if you're a congregant listening know what your pastor has done and acknowledge it. Even if you don't agree with every single choice they made, write them a note, hold their hand the next time you see them at church. Well, you're not supposed to probably touch them, but anyway. But <laughs> the look touchers in their and eyes, the non-touchers. Look in their eyes and say, thank you for Amen. staying in your post during the pandemic. You could have left us. Thank you for staying. Thank you for everything you did to try to get us through this safely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Encourage your pastor right now rather than being mad at them because they've done what they could and could not have done any more than what they did. That's right. And then to pastors, you will each have a a process of 
doing your own work that goes at a different pace. There's not something that's uh, here as a template that you have to move through at a certain space. But you, you do need to name the wrongs mm-hmm. and not plaster them over because they'll just go subconscious. Yeah, yeah. You need to name the wrongs. Mm-hmm. And then letting go of grudges and blame and bitterness, making sure... It's like Ruth said, forgiveness is about you not being bound to those things. To be able to see in yourself where those things have are taking root is really part of preparing to be able to help congregations do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then this is probably not in any path, I would say, seldom in pastors' minds. But there can be this, this piece of revenge that mm-hmm. people often get to. You know, you've hurt me. And you wrote me the meanest email I have ever yes. received. And yeah. there is a piece of me that mm-hmm. is just like, screw you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just yeah. saying it. Where you Pastors won't even meet their eye on that. Sunday. That's right. <laughs> Go someplace else. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so this sense of not being vindictive, you know, mm-hmm. not letting that spirit of mm, yeah. take, take hold of your heart. And that's, again, that's such deep spiritual work. And I, and we're just saying this in a, in a quick kind of like, here's some steps. And we know that it's not quick. Yeah. I think Miroslav Wolf is so helpful in his books on um, forgiveness mm-hmm. and inclusion and embraces one. Just amazing. And he says, we, we always have to separate the wrongdoer from their actions. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. We have to separate the wrongdoer from their actions. And this work is hard work. It's seeing the image of God. It's recognizing who the person is. But if we as pastors and as leaders can do that, that is such an example. It's such a way of helping, of being prepared to to help others do that. We've already... Well, let me stop you there. If um, someone is able to refrain from being vindictive, is there also sometimes an invitation to to as a pastor because you are a spiritual leader in your setting to still find a loving way to talk to that person about Mm. their behaviors and how it impacted Mm. Mm -hmm. yes Uh, yes to say i'm not going to let that behavior go unchallenged because i'm the shepherd of this flock Mm -hmm. and that behavior was negative and it was destructive to me and to the body of christ i Mm -hmm. i can't as a pastor and as a leader just let it go right and and i care for your soul Mm mm-hmm and this is not good for your soul. Yes, the way yes. you talk to me is not good for you. Just the way we've mm-hmm. talked about forgiveness is yeah. is about us. Mm-hmm. And the person may not hear it. Mm-hmm. And that can be re-wounding to the pastor. Mm-hmm. So I just think there has to be this yeah. sense of, as I go in, those who have ears to hear will hear. And yeah. those who don't, don't. And, you know, I, I love that. Jesus just, well, just shake the dust off. You know, just don't, yeah. th- don't let that be the thing mm-hmm. that pulls you down. Yeah. There yeah. will be people who hear. And if you if you do take that step, it's one of those places where you take the step leaving the outcomes to God. That's right. That you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you know this is what I need to do to be the pastor here, mm-hmm. is I can't let this kind of behavior go unchecked, can't control how they're going to respond, but I can do what's mine to do and leave the outcome to God. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think that's, that's very important. That's a very important piece. Separating the wrongdoer from their actions and then not tying your forgiveness to their admission of wrong. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about that. Yeah. So there is a sense, too, just in what Ruth was saying, 
maybe Ruth, you want to talk about this, about how when you talk to somebody and they don't receive what you say, how do you keep from setting yourself up for getting the same perpetual behaviors? You mean after you've made the, after you've had yeah. the conversation? Yes. Yeah. So, so say the person is like, I'm, I'm here, this is my church. I've heard pastors say this. Yeah. That they wish people would go and the people would say, I'm not leaving. This yes, is my, my church. church. I've been here longer is, than you've been, been here. My family's here. been here forever. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not, you know, you're, you can tell me that I shouldn't have written that, but you know, how do you, how do you protect yourself from continual abuse from mm -hmm. people? That's yeah. not what forgiveness is to let no, them that's, keep that's abusing exactly you. No, that's exactly right. I do wonder if there's a point where church discipline comes in, where Matthew 18 does come in, and the pastor no longer meets or interacts with that person alone, but brings one or two others, and a church discipline process takes place, because that kind of ongoing abuse of the pastor cannot be tolerated in a church. It's just not good for anyone, and that is, I think why Matthew 18 is given to us is that there is a process for dealing with people who are destructive within the body of Christ and destructive to individuals within the body of Christ. And that, that behavior just must be disciplined. It must be limited. So that's really a hard word. It's a hard word. It's a hard word, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't mm. want you set up mm -hmm. for abuse. No. Perpetuated. No. And abuse. hopefully a pastor has mm -hmm. a group of elders or vestry or session who really are with them, with them. And Care seeing about part their... of their role as being to help them thrive and flourish and in their role. And this isn't a part of that. This can't happen while this, these kinds of behaviors are being tolerated. And the final thing I would say to, to pastors is that all of these places where they've been wounded, all of these places where they've been slandered, abused, these are places of solidarity in Jesus' suffering. These are sacred wounds. These are places where even in heaven, I sometimes think, you know, in heaven, my wounds, I, I think I will have wounds just like Jesus does, but they will be healed wounds that give glory to a mm -hmm. God who, who reconciles all things and that God will reconcile all mm -hmm. things and your wounds will become sources of life for other people. Yeah. Adele, that really takes us beautifully to the to the reflection that you include with this chapter, and I think we want to do that here and do that now, and that is spending a minute at the foot of the cross. Would you guide us in that meditation as a way of closing us? So I just invite you to let all of the, the distractions go for a moment and to take some deep breaths. and to lift your eyes to Jesus. Maybe you have a, a crucifix, you could even hold it in your hand if you have one, or a cross. And consider for a moment the wrongs that have been done to you during this season. Just name them, the hurts, the aggressions, the hostilities.
and as Jesus looks at you, what does he say to you about these wrongs? Just listen to him. And ask, you may want to ask Jesus, what do you want to say to me about these wrongs? What am I to do with them? How does Jesus look at you? And then I, I invite you to put your hands on your heart and just say, Jesus, for the wrongs I have done, I receive your forgiveness. Receive the forgiveness that enables you to do work. Receive the forgiveness that gives you dismantle shame take that forgiveness of Jesus into your world, into your relationships. And stay grounded there at the foot of the cross. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts to choose from, and I'm grateful you have spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation by joining a transforming community. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. Also, thanks for your support of the podcast and the work of the Transforming Center. If you have enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can become a partner and receive exclusive content by visiting patreon.com slash transformingcenter.